0: Psalm 71, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as supportant to many, but you are my strong refuge my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and grey hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lie, O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy. When I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, and they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt.
1: Morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this morning. I don't know about you, but I just find it so encouraging, just gathering together, singing praise to God together. Like that last song, I was just reflecting, like there are some things about what we believe that if you just step back and think about it from a logical perspective, feel a little bit crazy, right? Like we believe that God became a human being who was born to a virgin, like that's a bit nuts. And, and I think, at least for me, when you, when you step back, and you think about that on your own, it can feel like, am I, am I crazy for believing this? And something about just coming together and singing together that we believe this and encouraging singing to one another and with one another encourages me and reminds me like, you know, I'm not insane. Like we're in this together. Like God has built up a family of his people together to encourage and support one another. That's, that's living proof that God is doing amazing, incredible things in our world that are beyond our power to explain or comprehend. And so I'm just really excited to be here today. I'm also excited because we announced last week the Bridges 15th anniversary is coming up in just a few weeks. We're going to have a celebration together. And as we get ready for that, we are going to take the next several weeks and just talk about God's faithfulness. And specifically, we're going to look at the book of Psalms to see what we can learn about God's faithfulness. So last week, we started by looking at how God shows his faithfulness by revealing himself to us. And how he, he faithfully day after day sends out messages through nature, through his word that let us know that there is a God, that he is real, that he exists and that tells us what he is like so we can actually know him. And I don't know how much you thought about that this past week, that there is a God, that he is faithful. But if you did think about that this week, you might've had, some doubts or some questions about this idea of God really being faithful. Because all of us have times in our lives, maybe you're in the middle of one of them right now, where our circumstances make it feel like God is not faithful. And if we let these circumstances shape the way that we think about reality, it can lead us to think some really negative things towards God. You know, maybe God has forgotten about me. Maybe God has given up on me. Maybe God was never there in the first place. Maybe he never, maybe he's there, but he never really cared about me. And he's finally just now letting it show. And so I want us today to think about this question. When we face these situations that leave us tempted to doubt God's faithfulness, to feel like maybe he, he doesn't care, maybe he never cared, maybe he's stopped caring, what is the proper response to those situations? And we're gonna look at Psalm 71 to help us answer this question. And what we're gonna see is that God's past faithfulness informs our present and shapes our future. God's past faithfulness informs our present and shapes our future. So we're gonna look at the present, the past, and the future. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for us together this morning, just for this chance to worship you and praise you together. We thank you for your word and the way that it reveals to us who you are and shows us your character so that we can know you. And we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would be giving us a deeper love for you, a deeper trust in your faithfulness, a deeper ability to obey you in this coming week and trust you in this coming week so we can live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Psalm 71 today. If you have your Bible, you can open up and look at it because we're gonna be looking at lots of specific verses in this chapter. The first few verses in this chapter make it clear that the writer is going through a really tough time. He's in danger. It might be what you could label as a crisis, And in the midst of this crisis, he's running to God for help because he realizes I am not big enough to handle this danger on my own. Now we have no idea who wrote this Psalm. There are a couple lines that make it seem like this person was probably a bit older, but even that's not a hundred percent certain. We just don't know who it was, but it seems like there's a group of people who's coming after this writer. They're trying to hurt him. They're trying to destroy his reputation, to tear down all his hard work that he's done throughout his life. Have you ever been in a place like that? Maybe you're in one now. Maybe it's at work where you've worked so hard. You've tried to be a great employee. You've tried to do things right. And someone in the office has just decided that they have it out for you. And and maybe they're, spreading rumors about you. Maybe they're doing things to try and tear down what you've actually accomplished so that you look worse in everyone else's eyes around the office. Students, maybe it's at school. You know, maybe there was someone who's your friend and then they stopped being your friend and they decided if they've stopped liking you, then they need to convince everyone else to stop liking you too. Maybe it's in your marriage. Things between you and your spouse have just become so negative and so hostile that your spouse is going around spreading negative messages to all your friends and forcing your friends to try and turn against you, make them feel like your spouse is really justified in feeling so negative towards you. Maybe it's another area of your life, but what do you do when you face these situations? When it feels like the world is against you, The problems you're facing are beyond your ability to fix, beyond your power to solve. What do you do? I think there's a lot of default, common go-to responses that people tend to have. One is just to get anxious. I don't know how these actions are gonna impact my future. I'm afraid, I'm freaking out. I'm playing out all these doomsday scenarios in my mind of how this could go wrong. We feel a little bit trapped like we're in a corner and just like a snake, when it's trapped in a corner, it lashes out. We end up doing the same thing, which leads to a second response when we're in this situation. We try to get back at them. You know, if they're gonna say hurtful things about me, I can say hurtful things about them too. If they're trying to spread rumors about me, I can spread rumors about them too. If they're trying to set traps for me so that I'll get in trouble and mess up, well, I can set traps for them. These are natural human responses in this type of situation. And you know what these responses do? They make things worse because they drag other people into that mess of this broken relationship. Rather than the conflict being between you and your spouse, it's now between you and your spouse and all your friends and each of them has to pick a side to be on in this conflict. Rather than the conflict being between you and your coworker, it's now got the whole office dragged into it and your boss is having to take time away from their work to intervene in your conflict. When we respond with fear and retaliation and anxiety, it drags more and more people into this situation. Responding with fear and retaliation, it it sows seeds of distrust and bitterness. It, It pulls us down to the other person's level. But the author of Psalm 71 finds a better way to respond when he is being attacked. The first thing we see right here is that when he feels himself being attacked, he runs to God for help. The first four verses of this song, they're just an ongoing request for God to step in and help him in the middle of everything that's going on right now. And it's clear from the way he speaks that the things happening to him, they are weighing so heavily on his mind. Like if you read through these verses, his posture is totally defensive. He wants a refuge somewhere I can run to and shut the door and and be safe, not have to worry about what's happening in the outside world. He wants God to just step in and rescue him. He's not thinking about, I'm going to go out and do great things for God, take ground for God's kingdom, do mighty deeds. No, 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 no. nothing like that. The situation feels too big for him to focus on any of those things. All he can focus on right this moment is how am I going to get past today? Maybe not even that far. Maybe just how am I going to get through the next five minutes? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel so overwhelmed by the trouble you're facing that you feel like this, like I need to just run away to a place of safety. I cannot think more than five minutes into the future because what I'm facing right now is so overwhelming. Did you know that when you feel that way, the Bible has resources for you? The Bible has tools to help you When you're facing those types of situations in life, this writer, whoever he is, he shows us that when we're in that place, the first step in responding properly is to turn to God and ask for help. But that's not all that he does. He he takes this first step, but then he goes another step further and it helps him gain perspective and break out of this trapped feeling. And he does that by not just focusing on the present, but by going backwards and remembering God's past faithfulness. See, as he's faced with the difficulty of his present circumstances, he looks into the past. We see this in verses five and six. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you, I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. He looks back and he remembers Throughout my life, I have relied on God again and again and again. And as I have done that, God has never failed me once. And because of that, even though I'm in the middle of a really difficult situation right this moment, I can continue to praise God in this moment. That's what he says at the end of verse six. My praise is continually of you. And a quick side note, as he's praising God, I think some of us might be a little bit confused because I think there's a lot of confusion across Christianity in general about the difference between praise versus worship. And there's a lot of overlap in these two things, but they're not identical. Praise involves speaking or singing. It's about telling how great or excellent someone or something is. Worship involves living in a way that shows someone or something is valuable to us so worship is this big umbrella praise falls under that umbrella but it's not the same as the whole big umbrella so there are a bunch of things we can do to worship god that go beyond just praise so for example loving and serving your spouse can be a form of worship to god even if it doesn't involve you speaking praises to god as you do it doing your job well for god's glory can be a form of worship serving the poor being generous lots of other things can be ways of worshiping god but praise specifically involves things that we do with our mouths, while worship involves all of life. That's why you never hear me refer to the band here as the worship team. Yes, when they're up here, hopefully we are worshiping God together, but worship is so much bigger than just what we do while the band is up here. And I don't wanna restrict our, our thoughts of what worship is and shrink them down to it's just music because it's so much more than that. So this author of Psalm 71, He's remembering God's past faithfulness in his life. And he's using that to fuel his praise. He's using his mouth to worship God and tell of God's greatness because he's remembering the amazing, awesome, great things God has done for him in the past. But guess what? Do you think that fixes the problem? Do you think it makes his fear go away now that he's remembered what God has done in the past? No, it's still right there. Even though he he knows God has always been faithful to him in the past, the situation is still hanging over him. And he has this fear that even though God's been faithful throughout my whole life, it might stop tomorrow. I once knew this older Christian. He was in his seventies. He was a teacher in a Bible school. He was you know, a mentor to several different pastors around the world. And lots of people looked up to him. He had been a Christian for 50 plus years. And he said, you know, I know God has been faithful to me my entire life. I can look back just at my day today and I can say, God has been faithful to me. And on one level, I know when I get to the end of the day tomorrow, I'll be able to look back and say that God has been faithful to me throughout today too. But looking at tomorrow from today, there's a fear that he won't. Anyone ever felt that? You don't need to put your hands up. But I think that's a pretty standard human feeling, right? Like, I know God's been faithful forever. I know he will be faithful forever. But what if? Did you know that even when you feel that way, even when you have these doubts and fears, you can bring that to God. He's not afraid of your fears. He's not afraid of your doubts. And that's exactly what this writer does in verses seven through nine. He brings these doubts and fears about the future to God. He says, I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent you know, God, you have been my strong refuge throughout my life, which has quite possibly been a long life already. But verse nine, do not cast me off in the time of old age. I'm afraid, even though you've been faithful forever, that there's gonna come a day where you stop. And recognizing this fear brings him back in verses 10 and 11 to the fear of this situation that he's right in the middle of right now. My enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there's none to deliver him. So he's facing the situation. He's turned to God for help. He's reflected on God's past faithfulness. He is remembering what God has done in the past. He's praising God. And then he remembers what's happening that led him to this prayer in the first place. And he's right back to that place of fear. Anyone ever been there? I'm facing a tough situation, I pray to God, I'm trusting him, and then I'm right back where I started. How do you feel when that happens? Anyone feel a little bit tempted to beat yourself up? Like, I thought, I thought my prayer was gonna fix this. I thought things would make it better. You know, I heard this story yesterday that I think is really applicable here. It was about a man who went to a monastery for a silent retreat. And he arrived and talked to the director of this monastery. And the director got him set up in a place where he could just spend the entire day in silent prayer and reflection and meditation. And 20 minutes go by and this man comes back into the director and he says, I can't do this. It has been only 20 minutes so far, and I've been trying to focus on God, and I have found myself at least a hundred times already getting distracted from my focus on God. This isn't for me, I give up. Did you know what the director said to him? He said, hold on a second. What I hear you saying is that already in the past 20 minutes, you've had a hundred times where you've been focused on something other than God and you have chosen to focus on God again. That's pretty incredible. I think God's really honored through that, right? Like how much is that our tendency that we focus on the failure? We focus on, I'm just back to this place of fear. I'm just back to this place of distraction. I'm just such a mess. I don't know if that's actually God's perspective. Maybe he's sitting up there in heaven. Like, Hey, look, They've, they've just turned back to this place of fear 20 times, but every single time they've used, they've used that to turn back to a prayer of trust in me. I feel so honored by that. I feel so pleased with them. Because the reality is that trusting in God's faithfulness in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult situations, it's a constant moment by moment choice. It's not a one-time thing where we're like, I'm trusting God. I'm all set. No, it's something where I choose to trust God one moment. And the next moment I have to make that exact same choice again. And the next moment I have to make that exact same choice again and again and again. And the moment I stop making that choice, I slip right back into that place of fear and anxiety and freaking out. But as we moment by moment make this choice to trust in God, God has given us tools to help us trust him. The author in verses 10 and 11, he slipped back into this place of fear and then notice what he does in verse 12. He turns right back to God again. Just like the man in the monastery, he he sees himself getting distracted, he turns back to God. He sees himself falling into the place of fear, he turns back to God. Oh God, be not far from me oh my God, make haste to help me. He sees the fear creeping in. He knows there's one proper thing to do with the fear. Let it lead him straight back to God. When you face fearful situations in your life, what do you do? You know, for a long time, I tried to just deny the fear or downplay the fear. I would tell myself, there are so many commands in the Bible that say, don't be afraid. So I just need to not be afraid. This fear, it it isn't real. It doesn't have power over me. And you know what happens when you do that? The fear doesn't go away. It just gets buried beneath the surface. So now it's controlling everything you do, but you're oblivious to it. Anyone else around you who cares to look can see that you're being controlled by fear. You just are in complete denial about it. That's one possible response that we can take when we're afraid. Another possible response on the opposite end of the spectrum is to recognize the fear, but then just let it overwhelm us, right? This is something that our world tends towards. Like we need to recognize what's going on inside of us. We need to be true to our feelings. We need to give them their space in our lives. But the problem is this problem and situation that I'm in the middle of is bigger than me. And if I don't have someone or something bigger than me that I can turn to, then I don't have the resources for actually dealing with this problem. And so I'm recognizing the fear, but then validating the fear and it's getting bigger and bigger and overwhelming me and there's nothing I can do about it. But the writer of this psalm gives us a third option. Don't deny your fear. Don't let your fear overwhelm you. Recognize the fear, but bring it to God. Acknowledge that it's real, but also recognize that it's bigger than you, but you don't have to be the one big enough to fix it because there's someone even bigger than you who can come to your side and help and bring rescue. And as soon as the author does this, he becomes free to turn back to God's past faithfulness again, to give him strength to trust God today. We see in verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. He looks back on the things that God has done and he just starts listing them out one by one. What would it sound like if you did that with God's work in your life? If you looked back through your life at all the things that God has done to be faithful to you and just started listing them out. I don't know what it would sound like. Maybe you're like, you know, during COVID, I was really nervous. I thought I was going to lose my job, but God sustained me. He, he provided for me. He got me through. Or maybe you're like, I did lose my job during COVID, but God still got us through that season of unemployment and took care of me and brought me to today. Maybe you're someone who's like several years ago, I was single, I thought I'd never find someone to love me. And then God brought along the perfect spouse. And now I'm married and I have a companion or maybe you're like a couple of years after my spouse and I got married, phew, it was brutal. I never thought we'd make it. But God's worked in our relationship and grown us in our love for one another and our patience and forgiveness towards one another. And now being married is such a joy Each of us has different experiences in our lives, but what things in your past can you point to as evidence that God is faithful, not just generally, but to you, that God is faithful to you? How often do you remind yourself of those things, the evidence of God's faithfulness? it might be helpful to just grab a piece of paper and write some of these ways down so that when you feel stressed and overwhelmed, you can look at that list and remember, oh, hey, I'm stressed right now, but God has always been faithful. And here is proof from my life that God has always been faithful. But recounting God's works of salvation, it's not just about looking at our own lives. It's also about looking back through history. The Bible is full of stories of God's faithfulness and they can encourage us when we're facing tough times. Maybe we're like, I'm afraid if I am faithful to God and I stand up for him, it's gonna put me in danger. But you know what? Daniel stood up for God. It put him in danger and God God came through for him. God is faithful. He takes care of his children. He knows what he's doing. For the writer of this psalm, I'm sure that he reminded himself about God and how he was faithful to rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and bring them through 40 years in the wilderness, miraculously providing food every single day for them and then bring them in and give them the promised land. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. He's given us a book full of stories that tell us about the things that he has done to be faithful. You and I, we can look to the Bible to remind us of God's faithfulness and his mighty deeds. And there's one more huge thing that God has done that you and I can look to today that this writer didn't even know about. And that's Jesus. God came into our world as a human being. He died for us so that he can rescue us and give us forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong. He is so faithful and loving that he gave his own son to rescue us he has proven once for all time that there is nothing he won't do to save us. And as if that wasn't enough, he's now sent his spirit to live inside of us and guide us and show us how to live each day. When you're tempted to believe that God has forgotten you or that God has given up on you, do you remember Jesus? He came to be here with us, to rescue us, that he will stop at nothing to bring you good. The more we can remember God's past faithfulness in the midst of scary and stressful situations, the more it's going to turn our focus from fear to faith in his goodness. And as we do that, it brings us hope for the future. That's what happens for the author of this Psalm. As he looks back at God's past faithfulness, his perspective changes You know, it's so common when we're in these stressful, dangerous situations to just get consumed by the things that we're facing. Any time that we're able to think about the future, our thoughts are just overwhelmed by this fear that everything is going to go wrong because of the situation that I'm in the middle of right now. And I cannot see any picture of the future where things haven't been torn to pieces by the impact of this trial that I'm facing right now. Yeah? Yeah. But this writer, he focuses on God's past faithfulness and it breaks him out of that pattern. He focuses on God's mighty deeds in the past. He remembers God's past faithfulness and his focus shifts to a brighter future. We see this in verses 14 to 16. But I will hope continually, hope. We haven't seen that yet in this psalm. I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Now, I don't know if we have any grammar nerds in here. I'm guessing not, because I think that's a rare thing in our world. But if you look closely at this Psalm, what you'll see is that verses one through 13, the verbs, they are present tense or past tense. There's a perspective here where like I can only see in one direction of my life. There's some perfect tense in there too, if you're a real grammar nerd, but that's just referring to past events that still have an impact on today. So still past and present. And then you get to verse 14 and he turns and he is focused on the future. He is moving forward. Yes, there's still some past and present in the rest of the Psalm, but there's this transition where all of a sudden we have future tense verbs. He's able to picture a future where this trial has not overcome him. Where instead of being worn down and destroyed by this trial, he gets to move forward telling other people about the incredible mighty things that God has done. And that brings a turning point in the Psalm where he's able to move forward with hope. And it's not a hope that's ignoring the trial that he's facing. We see in verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities. He's still very aware of the situation that he's facing. But now he can approach all of those troubles, all of those calamities with an attitude of hope. He says, even though I'm facing these troubles, even though they're bringing me down, God's gonna revive me again. In verse 21, he says, God will increase my greatness. And I know there are some some people out there who think it's wrong to want to be great. You know, Jesus has a lot of teaching on, on pursuit of greatness. And I think some people take that too far and are like, Jesus doesn't want us to be great. That's actually not true at all. If you look at what Jesus says, if you look at what the Bible says as a whole, he encourages us to pursue greatness. Did you know that? Jesus wants us to pursue greatness, but he doesn't want us to pursue it in the world's ways. He wants us to pursue it in God's ways. The world says you pursue greatness by advancing yourself, by doing what it takes to get yourself ahead and above others. So we end up using people to get ourselves ahead. We lie, we steal credit for stuff. We look down on others in pride. We do lots and lots of things that God hates to get ourselves ahead. It dehumanizes the people around us. It it leads us to see them just as tools for advancing ourselves. That's why Jesus has such negative things to say about the world's pursuit of greatness. But the Bible is very positive on the idea of pursuing greatness as long as we do it God's way. Recognize that true greatness is not about pushing ourselves above others to get ahead. It's actually about laying down our desires. It's about serving others. It's about helping other people get ahead, treating other people with dignity and care, even if it slows us down and makes us fall behind. The Bible's clear that when we live this way, God himself lifts us up and makes us great. And that's exactly what this writer is expecting to happen. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this J curve, the idea that in God's kingdom, success doesn't come from constantly moving up and to the right. It comes from us following the pattern of Jesus, where we die to ourselves and then let God raise us up. That's exactly what's happening here. But as we die to our own desires and lay down what we want in order to serve others and love them, God himself steps in and raises us up and makes us great. So this writer, he has looked back on God's past faithfulness. It's reshaped his perspective on his current trials, and it's now giving him hope for the future. And in the closing verses, he shows us three great responses for what we can do When we experience this, when we're facing trials, we look back, we see God's faithfulness, and now how can we move into the future with this new perspective? And the first thing we see is that he shares God's works with others. Look at verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. He's not simply asking for God to work because he wants everything in life to be comfortable and to go just the way he pleases. No, he's asking for help because he knows there are people out there who need to hear about all the great things that God has done. And in order for me to be able to share with them about the great things God has done, God, you need to keep me alive. Because if I'm not around, then I can't share with them. So let me ask, what about you? do you have a heart for sharing the good news of what God has done with the next generation? I don't know if you realize this, but this is a huge indicator of your own spiritual health. Jesus commands us to take everything that he teaches and commands us and share it with other people. If we are happy to know God ourselves, but have absolutely no desire to pass that on to other people, that's a, a real reason to step back and question whether we really know him ourselves. And if you want to learn more about how you can do this, find me after service or find someone else from the church after service. We would love to talk with you more and hopefully encourage you in that. So that's the first response is sharing that good news with other people. The second proper response we see here is praising God with songs. Songs. This is a big part of why we sing together when we gather on Sundays, because God has done great things for us. And those things are worthy of celebration. Remembering God's work for us, is meant to fill us with hope and joy. And the songs that we sing express that hope and joy. And if you're like, well, you know, I don't know how I feel about this one because I'm not really that into singing. I doubt that. You know, in the States where I'm from, we have a lot of uh, men who are really manly men. And they come to a church service on Sunday and they just stand there during the song time. they no, I'm not into singing. But then, here's how you know that's not quite true. They go to watch their favorite sports team and they start singing, we are the champions in the stadium. And they're the ones screaming it out loudest at the top of their lungs, right? As they do the like, we will, we will rock you. They're like stomping their feet as hard as they can go. It's not that they don't like singing. It's that God doesn't excite them enough to make them wanna sing. Singing is a natural human response to the things that excite us. Even small, trivial things. Like, have you ever had a problem that you're trying to solve, like something trivial around the house, and you're like, how do I get this thing in the sink fixed? And you're working on it, working on it. You finally get it together. And what do you do? Uh Ha, 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 yeah, I got it, yeah. We sing, right? Because we're excited. We sing about things that excite us. We maybe even do a little dance to celebrate the things that excite us. If we're not excited to sing about God, it's not that we're not into singing. It's that God doesn't excite us enough to make us wanna sing, which again is a reason to search our hearts and see where does our relationship with God stand? So response one, share God's work with others. Response two, praise God with songs. Response three, live with confident faith. Today. Did you notice the closing lines of this Psalm? At the end of verse 24, he says, they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. He's looking back on this situation as a past event. Now, I don't think it's the situation where it took so long to write this Psalm that the situation is now past and over and done with. And he's looking back on it from the future. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think what happens is that as he's remembered God's faithfulness, it's filled him with faith for today. He's remembered that God has always, always sustained me and rescued me in the past. I know the future will be no different. So even though the downfall of his attackers is still a future event in our timeline on earth, He's looking back on it as an accomplished past event because he knows that God's care for him means that it is certain. It will come. The same one who holds my future is the one who held my past and he has never let me down. So I can look at this future event as already accomplished. I can live with confident faith today because I have confidence that God's gonna take care of me. It may as well be over. So church, how are you doing? I don't know if you're facing any situations right now that feel big and scary. Maybe you're just coming out of one. Maybe you're about to go into one. But when you're tempted to be overwhelmed by that fear in the midst of that situation, I encourage you to start by bringing that fear to God. Just share with him how you're feeling. Ask him for his help. But then also think backwards. Think backwards what evidence do I have that God is faithful? Maybe it's past examples from my own life where I've seen him come through for me again and again. Maybe it's times in the Bible where people were in similar situations to the one I'm in right now and God sustained them. Maybe it's Jesus, the ultimate once for all proof that God is faithful and always will be faithful to you. And if you're like, man, Eric, I would love to look back at stories from the Bible, to remind myself of God's faithfulness, but I just don't know any. Again, come find me or someone else from the church after service. We would love to share some of these stories with you so that they can be sources of encouragement for you in hard times. And as we look back on God's faithfulness and it begins to change our perspective, think ahead to the next steps. Who else can I share with about the things that God has done In his faithfulness towards me, sing praises to God to celebrate what he's done. We'll have a chance to do that together in just a minute here. I encourage you to join in and live with confident faith in God and his goodness and his faithfulness this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that even in times where our circumstances say that can't be true, it is true. Thank you that you have done so many things in the past to show us and remind us of your faithfulness and that those things give us tools to equip us today to remember that faithfulness moving forward. I pray that you would give us perspective to look backwards on your faithfulness, to see the ways that you've sustained us and to be able to move forward with hope and confidence in you. Give us hearts to praise you for your faithfulness. Give us hearts to share about your faithfulness with others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.